Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone back to the Omarpreneur Live podcast where I interview Muslim entrepreneurs that are creating amazing, impactful businesses and really making a difference. And today I have with me one of these entrepreneurs, Brother Mustafa Dustin Kran. Dustin, assalamu alaikum, bro. Welcome to the podcast. Wa alaikum assalam, rahmatullah. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure to have you, bro. And just to share with our audience a little bit more about yourself. So Brother Dustin, he's the founder and executive director of the Center for Global Muslim Life. And he's a creative strategist. He's a filmmaker. He's a writer. He's a digital media producer, mashallah. He's an ethnic studies scholar and community organizer. So he takes on a lot of roles. And we're going to talk about some of that today in this podcast and really how he's been able to build uh, such an amazing nonprofit with uh, the Center of Global Muslim Life. And uh, this nonprofit, really what they focus on, and I'll have actually, you know what, Dustin, why don't you take it from here, brother? I want you to share with us, what is the Center for Global Muslim Life? What is it exactly that you guys are doing? Let's start there. Sure. So we started uh, many years ago, first as Umma Wide, which is a global, which was a digital media publication. We saw that there were all these gaps in the coverage of Muslims around the world. And alhamdulillah, you know, I converted to Islam in, in 2002. And I've been blessed to live in Muslim communities all over the world, whether it's West Africa, Southeast Asia, you know, in the Middle East, um, all, all throughout the United States. And it was really my time in California that inspired me to see that, that great diversity of uh, Muslim life. So we launched that publication, but it was in the middle of digital media companies getting destroyed by, you know, Google and Facebook ads. And so we took a step back, reset restarted as, as a not-for-profit organization called the Center for Global Muslim Life in 2020, but with a lot of similar uh, research and goals and really focused on the future of global Muslim life. Because what I've seen, especially as a community organizer and activist, is that we're so focused on very, our community and most of our institu institutions are focused on very reactionary things. And so how do we instead build a vision for the future? And there's this stat that I think about all the time, uh, this from, from Pew that says Muslims, not only, I believe we're already the largest faith group in the world, but we'll grow further to become even bigger majority of the largest faith group in the world over the next 50 years, where from 2030 to, to 2070, Muslims are supposed to grow from one quarter of humanity to one third of humanity. So if we're already one in every four people on the earth headed towards one in every three, then we can't have the same story about Muslims that has been told for the last 20 years and has also been a story that's very much policed our identities and told us that we shouldn't embrace the ideas of, of our identity as global Muslims. And I believe that um, that's one of our great gifts, right? The idea of the Ummah, our love for humanity, the idea that we're protectors of humanity. It's, so, it's important for all the earth. And so that should be something that we embrace foundationally and that we don't get stuck within, uh, you know, nationalistic thinking that has been really pushed over the last, of course, 100 years, but the last 20 years as well. So that's really what the center is about, is breaking down those walls. And we do it through research, media production, all kinds of different things. So it's really interesting that you share that, mashallah. And I love the vision that you have for this and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Because when you mentioned the stat and you mentioned the current state of how Muslims are currently portrayed in the media. And as you mentioned, like what is the conversation surrounding Muslims and Islam's, uh, Islam from people who don't really know the religion or in the, and they aren't part of it. And so they really all of the sources that they have are the news and what they see uh, being published to them. It really is unfortunate that we're in this situation when we are so many. I want to ask you, 
what do, what do you what do you believe is the cause of this exactly why are we in this situation well i mean there's there's political causes and there's spiritual causes right of course spiritually we can look to the prophetic uh hadiths and sayings that talk about this idea that Muslims will become so focused on the dunya, right? And then within that focus on the dunya, we'll lose a lot of ourselves. And I think that this materialistic, capitalistic society that's been built around the world, destroying the earth, literally, uh, we've been consumed by that as everyone else has been. It's been something that's, that's difficult, especially for young people to look away from now with the emergence of, you know, metaverse and all these things. And as we, our lives become more and more online, those things can become even deeper. So we have to understand that our lives aren't just about material reality. Yes, we're entrepreneurs, but we're also spiritual beings and we have to focus on our hearts as well, make sure that our intentions are pure. And, and without remembering what this is all about, serving a law, serving humanity, we can get lost. That's the spiritual side. The political side, as we know, is very complex and it has to do with the breakdown of the Ummah and the splitting of the Ummah into pieces by nation states fighting each other, colonialism, uh, and then and then post-colonial leadership just being terrible uh, amongst the Muslims and trying to save their kingdoms, literally, right? Um, yeah. And the people, the people seeing that they want something different than that, that they want some type of representation. And so we live in this like dichotomous reality where people may feel free online. They may feel free in a certain reality. And then there's a high extent of political repression. And this is even in Muslim countries that have democracies, unfortunately. Right. And mm -hmm. so, and so the corruption comes from within and from without. Um, but again, I think it has, it has deeply spiritual roots. I really, really appreciate you sharing your perspective on that. And with you right now trying to, of course, tackle uh, this the the situation, and of course, it's a very big mission, mashallah. But no, nothing great, and honestly, no great business is built with, without a great mission behind it, without something great that you're trying to achieve. And that is what you're doing here with your nonprofit. But I want to ask you if you were to rewind back a little bit and just talk about what even motivated you or inspired you to embark on this journey and try to tackle this grand endeavor. Uh, I know you have a background in digital media and filmmaking and what attracted you to then shift directions and decide to start a nonprofit like the Center for Global Muslim Life? Yeah, I mean, that's a big story, right? I, I, I embraced Islam, like I said, in 2002 at the, you know, like I was in Boulder, Colorado at the time where I, I grew up outside of Boulder, the University of Colorado. And I took Shahada and, you know, embraced Islam with this beautiful community. My doors were through Malcolm X and through 90s era hip hop music, which of course was very rooted in Muslim themes and Islamic language. Um, and so those were my doors, right? But then I come to the Masjid and the Masjid unfortunately is very, very conservative and telling me that I have to completely cut myself off from those things and from a life that I was living in. And you don't, you know, you don't just convert to Islam and become friends with all the Muslims, right? You, you still have your old friend networks. And, and so it's a very difficult path. And, I, and then I was also very interested in, in spirituality. And I was living across the street from a Buddhist university at the time, going and meditating there and reading, all, you know, my first Islamic book I bought was a book by, about, by Ibn Arabi that I bought there in the, the bookstore in the Sufism class that they were teaching at the university. And so I come 
while also organizing against the Iraq war, right? So I come from this very progressive liberal background and then come into this conservative space. And so I just saw instantly the dichotomous nature of the community and what the youth were going through. And then Alhamdulillah was transported to West Africa where I saw a whole different reality in Ghana. And I, you know, I lived in the middle of a Muslim community where I'm by three mosques, but then the Christians and Muslims uh, and people practicing indigenous beliefs all living on top of each other. The auntie upstairs starts praying her gospel music at 5 a.m. Uh, then the adhan goes off. Then the family I'm staying with starts singing their Christian hymns uh, all, all in the morning, right? So just a place filled with so much light and, and beauty. And so I saw a very balanced understanding of Islam within West Africa and then later also within Southeast Asia. And so, again, I, th I, I just felt if Africa and Southeast Asia are actually the largest populations of Muslims on the earth, why are they the most underrepresented? This is a baseline of, of my story, right, of, of, of wanting to, to change the story. It's about changing narratives. Mm. So fast forward after I came back, I, you know, found my teachers in Imam Zaid Shakir and Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and, and the group of scholars around Zaytuna. And so I moved to the Bay Area to actually help work with Zaytuna College. I did early research for them you know, with Dr. Hatem Bazian and, and looked at whether or not this, the college should be accredited. I was, you know, consultant for them and did that research. And so Alhamdulillah, it was in that process of seeing Zaytuna be built, seeing Imam Zaid Shakir, literally like people don't know this story, but fasting every day as they're buying their first property uh, for months and months as that process was being undertaken seeing the seriousness of what it means to build an institution. And I've had to constantly be reminding myself of that here. And then also, of course, living in the San Francisco Bay Area for 10 years, you see just the, the, the fast nature of tech culture, the, the level of Muslim entrepreneurship, the founders I became friends with there, you know, living with all CS majors, <laughs> going to UC Berkeley. Uh, so just I was just around entrepreneurship. And so... It's interesting, right? Like I said, I come from a org community organizing background, a very political background. Uh, but then in these times, to shift narratives, I just see that, that we're more likely to do that through entrepreneurial channels in many ways than we are through political channels because so much of our politics are stuck. And I've done it through political work as well. And so that's really what I my goal has been is, is creating narrative change because the stories that are told about Muslims are a big problem and the stories that Muslims are consuming are a big problem the stories we tell about it we tell to ourselves and especially as someone with you know alhamdulillah four daughters I think a lot about the messaging that young people are consuming all the time and it's overwhelming for them and so if we want to raise them as Muslims we want to raise them as people of consciousness and spirituality and faith we have a lot of work to do so that they can even see what that story should be. What do you mean by the stories that we tell ourselves? I'm very curious. Well, I mean, there's, again, there's a hadith and someone mentioned it the, the other day, an imam, when I was at Juma, that talks about how we go, there'll be an era where we wake up as a Muslim and we go to bed as a kafir, right? And that's a really intense hadith. But he was talking about how we, 
in some ways we live within that era, right? Where we wake up, alhamdulillah, we're Muslim, and then we go about our day, and then we end our day, many of us, and we're consuming content that have nothing to do with our worldview, just like everyone else, right? And I and I'm not and I'm not saying I'm any different in terms of what I'm watching and 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 I study media, right? So I study a lot of these things. And so it's just people like I, I was with a friend this weekend and he was talking about the new atheists, right? And there's, they're very concerned about the new atheism. And I told them, you know, it's concerning, but the media that we're producing and that our young people are, are I mean, the media we're consuming and the messages that are hidden within it. And the, the message is so like a good example is this film, the, the Eternals, right? This, it's a Marvel film may seem innocent, but it's about gods and creation and, and very, in my opinion, like a nihilistic understanding of the world where, where it's just constantly messages that have this new atheistic type of meaning. And we may not even understand the true meaning about what it is that we're consuming then let alone kids who are eight to 10 to 12 years old, where you could make an entire streaming service with just shows about magic, about all the sh different shows that for young people about magic, unfortunately, magic, you know, just really think, you know, and, and some of the things like Harry Potter are similar to star Wars and that it's a hero's journey. And um, though it's dealing in, problematic aspects of showing that that magic is okay there's some uh, there's redeeming qualities there and i know many people who like that even uh muslim scholars but beyond that just so many layers of of, of problematic uh media that we're constantly consuming and then and then so to combat that you know alhamdulillah we have entities like alchemia us hub you know some some major Muslim producers bringing out good content, but especially the children's content, we're really behind. Um, you know, and, and we have the kids watch things like Daniel Tiger. Of course, Daniel Tiger, you know, um, people like Fred Rogers, who was actually a pastor, at least those worldviews where it's faith-oriented, values-oriented, at least we can find that content for our children that at least is values-rooted. But that's young, young children mostly. What happens once they become teenagers? Everything becomes about anti-heroes. Everything becomes about um, this, that we're all mixed in our worldview, that we're all problematic by nature, that we're all um, conflicted by nature. And that that's not what we believe as Muslims. And so, uh, again, like we just have a long ways to go in media production. I think it's the biggest crisis of the community because it's the number one thing we, cons we consume is media. We consume more media than anything else. We consume more film and television than we any of us do books in these times for the most part. And we're, we as Muslims have very few productions, few and far between. Yes, the TRTs and Urta Girls and these things, uh, you know, like I love Yunus Emery, great, beautiful show uh, about spirituality and transformation, the spiritual path. But again, who, but again, th those, at least some of that exists for adults. None of it exists for the most part for children. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, subhanAllah, it's really interesting that you mentioned that. And I can completely agree to everything that you're saying so far. And uh, when you when you think about it, 
I mean, it's interesting because I did have uh, Brother Navid come on this podcast. He's the founder of Alchemia, and we talked about these very issues uh, about media and about how he's combining that with his Alchemia platform. And, uh, you know, even when it comes to Alchemia and, 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 for example, the database that we have within there, of course, I think the reason why people aren't yet adopting it at mass, as in, like, it's not something that is being currently, you know, in Muslim homes as widespread as Netflix, for example, is because of the lack of media production that comes from Muslims uh, as well. Now, I know you have uh, within the same conversation, I recently was on the uh, the website for the Center of Global Muslim Life. I know you have a background in digital media and you actually have a course there as well that you have for free Digital Media Academy. People can check out check it out if you go on globalmuslimlife.com if you're interested in this topic. What motivated you to create this, uh, this course that you have over there? Yeah, so that class in particular was really right at the beginning of COVID um, where I was concerned that some of the masajid and some of our institutions would just completely fall apart if they had to go online because mm. the reality is media training for our institutions is one of our big biggest gaps, right? We have a lot of old school organizations that don't have, that aren't, digitally savvy many or many of our institutions are more pr savvy than they are digitally savvy right they don't know how to do digital production they know how to read reach out to media they know how to kind of get themselves in press hits but in terms of producing their own content when it's necessary i just thought it you know that that was a huge gap and so mm -hmm. the course is like it's about a it's seven lectures about an hour long each Alhamdulillah, the course has been really successful. We've had people from all around the world take it. We've had uh, now courses like in Edmonton where, you know, institutions come in and sponsor my ability to teach that course for their institutions locally. So that was with the, you know, Islamic Family Canada, which is a great institution, community institution in Edmonton. And so it's just an overview from how do you start with digital production and the type of content that you know, the type of equipment you need for something like this to set up a like really high quality stream to how do you get on, you know, StreamYard? How do you, you know, use different streaming platforms to, to effectively, how do you start a podcast? How do you think of content in a way where I always talk about content is like a, a huge puzzle that's laying in front of you. Your job with content is to figure out how to put the pieces together and and how to produce those things or even how to cut them apart also right so if you have a podcast how do you turn it into a series of articles how do you turn it into a so series of social media posts into a series of clips so mm -hmm. so we go from very beginning like levels up to like an over the last class is about ramadan where we discuss you know the 10x to 20x traffic that is uh ramadan web traffic for muslim institutions and organizations and why everyone if you have a muslim organization as difficult as it is to focus on your company and your work in the middle of ramadan you basically have to do it right because it's when you'll have the biggest numbers of eyeballs because maybe people are thinking about faith more people want to consume muslim content in a month maybe people aren't consuming other content in a month whatever it is that that content spikes like crazy. So we have a big overview on that within the, the course as well. And uh, it's really interesting that you share it for free. And I think that's really nice. So if someone's interested in this topic and in learning more about that, they can go on globalmuslimlife.com and check it out. And one thing as well with the center of global Muslim life that you, um, you've, um, 
you've been doing is the Muslim Film Festival, which is also in, in line with, with our current discussion, right? In promoting and in helping creators uh, and producers to, you know, release these films that change the narrative on Muslims and hopefully within the Muslim media. Tell us about the Muslim Film Festival. How did this idea come about? Was this one of the first things you launched with your nonprofit or what, did it come at a later point? No, it was... It was definitely one of the first things we launched. Um, mm -hmm. It's it comes out of you know just applying to film festivals and and seeing what is like excellent work that we see so many Muslim filmmakers creating. And this is the issue also, right? It's not just an issue of production. We actually have uh, a lot of even on Netflix. Like I have a I have a, an article coming out in the next couple of months that's about Muslim content that are on all these streamers. The, diff the difficulty is discoverability, right? Is is like, do we consume global content? Would a regular Muslim watch a show, like a Malaysian show or an Indonesian show uh, mm -hmm. that have really nice themes of, you know, Islamic themes? When, of course, we, we watch Turkish shows, um, but, but maybe that politically has to do with certain ideology that people have, but would we consume other shows from around the Muslim world? There's even a nice children's show uh, from Malaysia. And so, so it's an issue of discoverability, it's an issue of distribution, right? It's an issue of marketing. And so with the Global Muslim Film Festival, that's really what we were trying to do is saying like, look, if, if no, and especially faith rooted storytelling, yeah, like Sundance and these others will, will feature Muslim documentaries, will feature Muslim films, if it fits within Hollywood liberalism's frames. Right. Like if if it fits within their frame of how they're producing their festival. And so so many of my friends were filmmakers. You know, some some of my friends have gotten into these big festivals, South by Southwest, uh, Sundance and some of Toronto, et cetera. Some of the others big global film festivals, but the majority do not. And especially like for most filmmakers start with short films also. And so that we wanted to create a platform in a space where young filmmakers could feature their work. And so Alhamdulillah, I was really successful the first year. We paused in the second year because we wanted to do kind of, we wanted to do a tour with the film festival where we're doing pop-ups in different cities and different, like do a weekend in different cities around the world because the content is so great. And we think that that it, with film, it's better to reach, you know, an audience in person, of course, but now with everything we may sort go back to, we would do a hybrid online and in person, but then this week, there's a really crazy conversation going on at Sundance, right? Where they just Sundance out of all these films that could be selected about Muslimness, they select a film by a white woman called Jihad Rehab. That's about these uh, three or four men that she follows who were detained at Guantanamo Bay for 15 years since they were children, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. United States government, of course, never charged them. They're released. Then they're sent to this jihad rehab facility in Saudi Arabia. And first off, who even says they were involved in that, right? They were arrested. No one knows why they're arrested. And so that, so anyway, there's this, all these Muslim filmmakers. It's been amazing to see these set of, of Muslim filmmakers organizing around that film to say, why is, did Sundance program this? Sundance is an entity that has, you know, a black woman as their director that has made huge strides in programming around black and Latino content, global content, African, uh, et cetera. But when it comes to Muslim stuff, 
they're still programming Islamophobic uh, and problematic content about Muslims related to the war on terror. So this is a perfect example of why we have to have our own spaces. We have to have, we have to create our own spaces, our own awards, because the reality is, is that, that people won't reward us. People won't appreciate, you know, a, a film about Islamic spirituality. People won't appreciate a film that, that has deeply, uh, like films like by Majid Majidi that have deeply, literally like Quranic commentary within the film and through the imagery that they're doing, but, but these films never get distribution. Of course, they're, you know, made by an Iranian master, but they very rarely get distribution in a place like the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. So how do we champion those films? How do we, and even, and even the other issue is there's classics of the Ummah, right? Classics of Muslim film. And the reality is no one's preserving the film, right? No one's uh, trying to save the digitizing the film. No one's making it 4K, et cetera. And so that's really what the film festival is about. It's about marketing, you know, having relationships with distributors. Um, like I said, I'm really excited about Us Hub also. I love the guys at Alchemia, but also very excited about Us Hub because they're, Us Hub is an LA-based brand new streamer that are funding original content also. And I think that's, if you know anything about the growth of Netflix, of course, that was one of their big growth hacks is once they started funding and producing their own content, they were able to make content that no one else was creating and it helped them really take off. And so a, a streamer like us hub could really take off in that way. Or, mm-hmm. or we just organize the producers and money and make our own content and have access to our own audiences. And then the other issue there is how do you, the big issue with all of these sets of companies, film, et cetera, is how do we actually tap into the global Muslim market? Because there's a lot of theorizing of what a global Muslim market is, but there's very few and far between companies. I think of entities like LaunchGood, like NoorKids. There's a couple, right? Um, Wahed Invest is attempting to do that, where they're actually global companies with global staff and that where people are consuming that content or that product around the Muslim world, whether it's in, as Muslim minorities in the West or, or in majority context. So same with filmmaking, right? How do we actually tap into that market uh, well and how do we do it consistently? Have you been able to answer that question? And this, I, I'm completely answering this for my personal gain, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Have I mean, you been... no, I mean, it's, it has to do with data. It has to do with um, storytelling. It has to do with, uh, it's there, right? I think, and that's, what we're doing. I think that's why the narrative shifting pieces are so important and why, especially, you know, I know we're going to talk about the hundred global Muslim startup list. That's why part of the logic of doing something like that is the narrative shifting pieces of it, right? If you, if you see if, if the same story is told over and over by about Muslims in the media all the time, and then you have, well, here, or not only do we have 50 companies, which we've done lists about 50 global Muslim startups in 2015, 2016, and 2017, Oh, well, now that those companies have blown up. Some of them have upwards of 100 employees now that we featured back then. And now here's this new global set of companies that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital money that um, and that are that are creating impact all over the world. And so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I actually wanted to ask you that. That was my next question, which is. You know, tell us about this 
top 100 global Muslim startups list that you're building here. I know that was actually part of the reason why we got into contact, which was really interesting. So what is it that you're building here? Yeah, so a lot of this to me is, is A, about ecosystem building, right? For us to have to build, we can't look at this world as, as a zero-sum game, right? We have to have uh, ecosystems. We have to build the Muslim startup ecosystem together, right? That's why I love the work that you all are doing and the, the conversations you're creating on your Facebook group and, and others is how do you bring Muslim entrepreneurs together? How do we support each other? How do we fund each other's businesses, right? How If you have one Muslim business that's successful, that will trickle down into the other businesses if we keep the money within our own communities. And so the logic A was just about, I didn't see really the ecosystem building piece happening. And so I wanted to connect a set of companies. Um, and then B, again, it has to do with the narrative change piece where if I put out this article about 100 global Muslim startups, the other lists have blown up uh, all over the world, right? In terms of virality and like people, because people like to see, and this, it's again, it's an issue of discoverability. Most Muslim companies have an issue of, can you find, can we actually reach the consumer? And so this article has, you know, really great SEO. It's always, it, it's a great way for people to find out about um, other Muslim institutions. And I think that's really at the core of this is, is how do we build institutions? This stuff is done through very strategic ways, A, through building our own institutions, but then B, building the ecosystems. One of my favorite books is this book by uh, Brad Feld about, it's called Startup Ecosystem. And it's the story of Boulder, Colorado, uh, which at the time when I went to school there, you know, aging myself, right? I graduated, I think in 2006. There wasn't really a, a startup ecosystem. There wasn't this huge venture capital base there now. Whereas Boulder, Colorado now is one of the centers of venture capital, the centers of startups in the United States. And so the book tells the story of the very intentional nature in which they built the ecosystem, which was about very low barriers of entry, right? That anybody can come into the space and, and impact it. It was about, again, the, the, the understanding that it's not a zero sum game, that if we lift, you know, we lift one boat, we lift, we lift all of them together. And so, mm -hmm. So I think that that really inspired me in, in just saying, how do I do that? And, it, and, you know, with the work that I did in the first company, the main thing I got out of building that company and we say, what are our failures? What are our successes? Well, in many ways, everything is, is a success if you look at it in a way that it built you up to the point you're at today and it gave you this huge foundation of knowledge and understanding. And so that first company, it allowed me you know, to travel throughout Southeast Asia, to build relationships throughout Southeast Asia, throughout the Middle East, throughout the United States, throughout uh, Europe, and, and build with Muslim entrepreneurs all over. And so I wouldn't be able to do this research and look at 100 Muslim companies, wouldn't be able to instantly connect with people all over Southeast Asia and all these places without those years of hard work on the ground in those countries building relationships. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And right now with what it is that you're, uh, you're doing, you know, looking at your nonprofit right now, right? Um, one question that I have, and this is more for my entrepreneurs that are listening to this from an entrepreneurial perspective and looking at what you're doing, what you're building, mashallah, because it truly is inspirational. And just to, I want someone listening to this to believe in themselves that it's possible to create 
you know, an organization, nonprofit, a business as greater, as great as yours, as long as you have the vision and you're committed to taking action and following through. And from that entrepreneurial perspective, this organization that you built, the Global Center for Muslim Life, you built this. We had a discussion the first time we spoke together while still, you know, continuing your career as a digital media strategist. Correct? Am I am I on the ball here? Right? Yeah, totally. I mean, my, my okay. main work is in my production studio called Beyond Border Studios, where I work with startups and companies uh, around the world to, on content production, right? And so totally, yeah. and and that's part of the reason why the 100 Muslim list, we also feature a lot of nonprofits, because in many ways, it's harder to build a nonprofit than it is to build a for-profit entity. Because mm-hmm. with a for-profit entity, you're going to get the data feedback right away as to whether or not you're making money. Yeah, right? Whereas with a nonprofit, there's... It's a different set of metrics, and it takes a long time to also raise money through foundations, through individual giving, et cetera. And it even takes a long time to get the status. Like in the United States, in the middle of COVID, it took us 15 months to get our nonprofit status, right? How how do you manage, you know, the the workload of building a nonprofit, building a business while continuing your career? Which is, you know, I get this question so often from people who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs and build businesses. And they're like, well, Abby, I can't because I work. I have a full-time job. And you've done this, mashallah, while continuing your career. So what is the secret? What is it that you can share with the listeners here? Well, how you've been able to do this, you know, in, in part-time essentially, right? Well, I mean, as a writer, as a filmmaker, as an entrepreneur, so much of this has to do with what you spend your evenings doing, right? Mm-hmm. What you spend your mornings doing. And so, like I said, I have alhamdulillah kids. And so my life has changed since I had kids. So now it's what used to be, I would find time when I could find it. Now it's very much like I find time either late at night or early in the morning where I'm able to work on things. And, you know, alhamdulillah, having my own business also, it it allows me the flexibility to work on both. And then now, alhamdulillah, we've started to, to make more income through the Center for Global Muslim Life as well, where we're able to focus on what we're building there. But it, it's, it's really about, like, if you want to write a, a script, right, if you want to write a book, you're going to have to write it for the most part, even in the evenings or early in the morning. If you want to build a business, it's just, and it's, there is nothing wrong with chipping away at things, right? Just look at it as chipping away at things little by little piece by piece, day by day, month by month. And if you have a big dream, uh, you know, and obviously pray that Allah gives you tawfiq and, and that a spiritual assistance that you need, then inshallah you'll, yeah. you'll be able to get it off the ground. Inshallah, Ta'ala. definitely, brother. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us today, sharing with us the amazing work that you're doing with bringing exposure to Muslim startups, bringing exposure to um, you know, Muslim film producers and content creators and just all the projects that you have going right now with the Global Muslim Life. How can someone, you know, connect with you, support you, uh, keep in touch with what it is you're doing? Where, where's the best place that we should uh, we should lead them to? Yeah, so check out uh, globalmuslimlife.com. You can also check out my studio at beyondborderstudios.com. Uh, yeah, just, you know, check out our content. We have a lot of plans. We, have, we definitely need supporters. We need uh, donors. We're also building to a point where we're going to have a for-profit entity helping to fund the nonprofit, inshallah. 
So we're building towards some of those things. So we'll be raising, inshallah, some money this year for that as well. Um, yeah, check out the Global Muslim Startup List. I wanted to real quickly talk about kind of the overview of that list to tell you the diversity of companies that we have within it, right? And including Umapreneur is we have media production startups, blockchain slash metaverse startups, Islamic finance and Islamic fintech, tech ecosystem startups, e-commerce startups, social impact, Islamic education, spiritual impact, social impact, philanthropy, childhood education and products, modest fashion and halal cosmetics, education tech, food and beverage slash halal food and fintech. And so alhamdulillah, I really think, check out the list, share it, uh, you know, be inspired by it. And that's a big part of the reason why I do it is, is I don't, I, you know, I've had this thing since I started this media production course where I talk about ilham, where we talk about the divine inspiration that comes from Allah. That divine inspiration is a spark with inside of us that leads to, to us building something. If you have that spark inside of you, then you need to follow that spark and you need to chase that spark and you need to, you need to try to build because within the West, we use this term creativity, right? But from an Islamic uh, worldview, we should use this term alham to understand that it's about divine inspiration. And I pray that uh, this work creates divine inspiration in others Mm -hmm. and that we're able to uh, really expand with the, with the Ummah and, and have the impact that we need to be having in our world. Because if we're told, that we're supposed to be leaders, if we're told that we're supposed to be protectors, then each and every one of us is gonna be asked about that on the day of judgment. If we just allow ourselves to go by and live, you know, this, so, you know, supposed American dream or that Canadian dream or whatever it may be, you know, this dream of being rich and whatever. Well, if we ain't all lifting each other up and and the world is burning all around us, what does that say that we did? So we yeah. pray that uh, our work is inspiring, inshallah. I mean, I mean, well, it definitely is, brother. And I really appreciate you coming on this podcast, sharing what it is that you're doing, all the beautiful work that you're doing right now. And really, I just, my hope is that someone listening to this not only gets to learn more about what it is that you do with the Center of Global Muslim Life, and they check it out, and we'll make sure to include all the links you mentioned in the episode notes and description. But also that they listen to us and they listen to this and they realize, well, wow, if uh, if Dustin can do this and he, you know, he's doing this along with still continuing his career and, you know, building such an amazing organization, maybe I can as well, you know, make that dream of mine, building a certain business that has a certain impact, you know, trying to solve a certain problem within the community or trying to help Muslims achieve a certain goal. You know, maybe I should move forward with that and maybe I should do it myself. And if this episode can help inspire someone to take action, that would be beautiful, inshallah. So we hope so. Definitely. Exactly. Because last thing for me, right, is because I would say that I'm a first-generation college graduate. I'm a first-generation uh, business owner in my, in my family. And so just understand that, that you know, that, that divine inspiration is there. And, and I always, yeah. and within our work, we talk about, a lot of people talk, everyone talks about social impact we started talking a lot about spiritual impact as well, because we have to understand that the spiritual impact leads to the social impact. And so Mm -hmm. someone like myself, without the spiritual impact component, I would have never gotten to the social impact component, Mm -hmm. right? I would have never have transformed and changed my life. And so we understand Mm -hmm. that we both, inshallah. Inshallah, Tata. Thank you. This was an enlightening conversation. I hope that we bring you back on the podcast. I'm sure we will for any future events you might be holding or something you'll be working on because this was a beautiful conversation. It was insightful. It was enjoyable. 
And I'm sure that we'd love to have you back on in the future. Let us know when you work on uh, some new events, inshallah, as well. We can maybe talk about them on this podcast. Inshallah. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much, brother. Thank you, Jazakallah Khair, for joining us. And for all of you listeners, you know the drill. Uh, make sure to go and check out the guest links in the show notes, description, episode notes, wherever you're, you're listening and watching this from. And... Of course, make sure to support Omarpreneur as well. We're found on all social platforms. Just search for Omarpreneur and you'll find us. And if you'd like help with starting your business or you're thinking of getting some mentorship, then you can book a call with us for free at omarpreneur.com slash call. We'll also include the link in the notes. And there you can book a free call with my team. We'll speak to you and help you determine if mentorship is right for you. And until then, we'll see you in the next one. Take care, guys. Assalamu alaikum.